Here's where we're headed now. Brian already alluded to it, but we're headed into a very short sermon series. But just because it's short, it's not unimportant. Short, but powerful and helpful, I hope. And here's why. Because when I came back from sabbatical this past summer, came back, talked and prayed with the elders, and I've been pushing all of us together, been trying to put before you, oh my goodness, what would it look like if we were a church family at both campuses that began to live, not obnoxiously, but with the courage to stand? A confidence to speak up about Jesus Christ and a heart that's willing to sacrifice both money and time and inconveniences and our schedule being messed with to reach lost people, to care about lost people, to love on lost people, to get outside of our comfort zone. What would that look like? And I don't know about you, but maybe as I talk this way, maybe it's made you a little nervous or scared. Because it could be a little daunting if you were honest. And every time I go off on that, you're just like, ah, hope somebody does that, but it ain't going to be me. Let me put you at ease. If that's you, every time I've talked about courage and confidence and heart to sacrifice, if you've tensed up, just take a deep breath. You're not alone. It's not just you. So take a deep breath. And after that deep breath, buckle up because I'm not backing off on it. Okay? <laughs> Deep breath, buckle up. But here's what I will do for you. I'm not going to back off, but I will step in. And here's what I want to do. I want to help you to know better what you have already that God has given us for this great big task. Because it is a scary big task. But he's already given us. If, if when you've heard me talk this way, you've thought, oh, I got to find something new. I got to find something else that I'm lacking in my life. If I'm going to live like that. I need something else. Don't scour the internet. Don't rummage through the family Christian bookstore. I want to tell you, you all, if you're a Christian, you already have more than enough that God has given you to live wide open, all out for Jesus Christ. But here's what you might need to do. Get a little more familiar with what it is he's already given us. And to do that in this short series, I want to highlight three things. I can't say everything that God's given us. It would be a long series. I want to highlight three things that I think make all the difference as to how much courage, confidence, risk, and sacrifice you're willing to make for the cause of Christ. And I don't want to keep you guessing about those three things. I don't want to rob you of sleep as you all think, what? What? I'm going to tell you up front. It's these, it's these three things. And now, I want, I want you to prepare, because I don't want you to say, oh, that, all right? Because it's basic, but powerful and life-changing. Number one, the spirit of the resurrected, living Jesus Christ with the same power that burst him from the grave, conquering sin and death and Satan, lives in you. Well, that's all. Right? It's like, somebody say, thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. I'm not on my own. He hadn't said, go do this big, hard thing, and I hope it works out for you. We get so jazzed on Easter Sunday. Where's that power the rest of the year? It's inside of you. So that's number one. Number two, the power of prayer. 
to call on the God of the universe anytime, day or night, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and you have direct access to his throne, and his throne now for you as a Christian is a throne of grace and acceptance, where he says, don't come crawling, timid, sheepishly, come boldly to the throne of grace, and I'll give you grace and mercy in time of need to help you do whatever I've called you to do. Now we have his ear, he's our dad. That's all. And thirdly, the power of the Bible or God's word that cannot be stopped, that continues to change us and has the power to break through all barriers of resistance all around us. And I'm going to take two weeks on that, actually, because it's so good. I'm going to take a week to talk about the power of reading God's word and the power, the turbocharged power of memorizing and meditating on chunks of it. That's where we're headed. But today, with the time that I have left, I want to unpack the first. Number one, the Holy Spirit. Basic equipment for the Christian life. What would it look like? What does it mean that you've got the Spirit of Christ living in you? And what does it mean to be Spirit-filled? To be filled with the Spirit. Well, let me approach it this way. I want to move off the table what it does not mean. Because as soon as I say Spirit, it could get spooky. When I say filled with the Spirit, it gets really weird. Because most of us have already seen or read something that's involved barking like a dog, laughing for three months, rolling in the aisle, just total weirdness, shaking, convulsing, falling down. There's what we do with that. It does not mean that, and it does not mean that we're talking about a second special work of grace. See, lots of times when people start to talk about the Spirit and being filled with the Spirit, it's this extra certain thing that only certain Christians get, and you end up with this formula and this theology of the haves and the have-nots. There's Christians, but then there's Christians that got the Spirit. Okay? No. No. And usually the groups that talk this way or write this way, to some degree, it's surrounding that tongues is the sign that you got it now, baby. You got it. If you can't speak in tongues, you ain't got it. Loser. The Bible doesn't talk that way. Does the Bible mention the gift of speaking in tongues? Does it say everybody's going to have that gift, and if you don't, you don't even have the Spirit of God? Louder. No. No. Tell them no. Tell the books no. Tell the TV preacher no. Tell your good friend no. Stop laughing, barking, rolling, get up no. No. If you're a Christian, you have all of the Holy Spirit. Because he's a person. So we're not talking about a second work of grace. Something I got to keep hoping for. That maybe one day this will happen to me. And other people it has happened. But not for me. Well then what are we talking about Brad? It's not that. Then what is it? What we're talking about is choosing to be filled. With the Holy Spirit. Who already lives in you. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Go to Ephesians chapter 5. I'm hoping that you were hoping I was going to use the Bible. I'm going to make your hopes come true. Yes, we're still using the Bible here. 
Ephesians chapter 5. And I want to show you what the Bible says about being filled with the Spirit. You don't have to guess. You don't have to buy popular books. You can read your Bible and figure out what it is. Ephesians chapter 5. If you've got a Bible, go there. If you've got an app in your lap, go there. Starting in verse 15. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Do you see how this relates to what I've been pushing with courage, confidence, sacrifice? Folks, if you're waiting to get excited about Jesus and make your life count for something when the last days arrive, wait no longer. We're in them. We're in them. The NIV translates this, be careful then how you live Making the most of every opportunity. We're in the last days. Make the most of every opportunity. Verse 17. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Giving thanks always For all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting to one another in the fear of God. Folks, he just told us what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit. There's no barking. There's no falling down. There's no shaking. There's no convulsions. There's no nonsense. Let me show you what it looks like when you're filled with the Spirit. Look at verse 19. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart. When you're filled with the Spirit, you have a worshipful, joyful heart. That's unrelated to how well you can carry a tune. You just can't keep from singing. Melody is within you. You have a joy and you have a worshipful heart that's unrelated to circumstances. You just wake up that way. Look at verse 19, I mean verse 20. Giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord. When you're filled with the Spirit, you have a grateful heart for the littlest thing. You, you, get, you just end up saying, thank you, Jesus, for the red bird on the twig. You say, thank you, Jesus, for the crocuses popping through the ground. You say, thank you, Jesus, for that spring breeze and that blue sky. Thank you, Jesus, for my friend. Thank you, Jesus, for good music. Thank you. Anything that goes right, you're not focused on the glasses half empty. You're not that person that's always what I don't have, what I don't have, what I don't have. Yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. You're like, God, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. When you're filled with the Spirit... You've got a worshipful, joyful heart, and you've got a grateful heart, but there's more. In verse 21, submitting to one another in fear of God. When you are filled with the Spirit, you are not constantly disagreeing with other people, demanding your rights, hypersensitive about who offended you and who didn't do this, that, and the other. You don't go into life. You're easy to get along with. You are humble. Worshipful, joyful, grateful, humble. Not a bark, not a yelp, not a quiver in this passage. But there's more. So there we got a sense of what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit. So already you could take a pause here and say, hmm, I got any of that? How often does my life look like that? But we're not done. I want to show you five things from just one verse here, verse 18. Five things about what it means to be filled with the Spirit from verse 18. 
So we've just put some general parameters there. Now let me dig in a little more specifically. Verse 18. Here's the first thing that you see. See the second half of verse 18? But be filled with the Spirit. Here's the first thing I want you to notice about what it means. Being filled with the Spirit is a command. That is in the command tense. Be filled with the Spirit. It's not an option. So God doesn't say, hey, if you get any chance and you ever feel like thinking about this, give this some thought and you have some free time. Be filled with the Spirit. It's not optional. It's a command. It's a command. And again, we are not talking about you getting more of the Holy Spirit. To be filled with the Spirit, we're talking about the Holy Spirit getting more of you. You say, Brad, what do you mean? Because you got all the Holy Spirit you're ever going to get. He's a person. Brad, what do you mean? Here's what I mean. For some of you, there's still pockets and places in your life where you've set up a no trespassing zone. And you said, yeah, yeah, but not there. We're not going there, Lord. You don't go there. That's my own deal. I know that's a mess, but nope, nope, nope. We're not going there. We're not adjusting that. We're not repenting there. We're not going to. You're not invited to rummage through the whole home of my soul. Just certain rooms I'm letting you in. You know, it's quiet now. We're commanded to be filled with the Spirit. Second thing that you learn, being filled with the Spirit is in a passive verb tense. Notice it says, but be filled with the Spirit. So you can't do it. God is acting on you and you are being acted upon. He has to do this. We're commanded to see that it happens. He has to do it. You say, well, then what can we do, Brad? Ask. You can ask God. Fill me with your Spirit. Fill me with your spirit. Number three, there's more. Being filled with the spirit is in the plural, and you don't see that readily in our English translations. But one of the beauties about Greek, and there's a number of things, God in his wisdom chose to see that the New Testament be translated from Koine Greek. It was written in Koine Greek, and just lots of things you can learn there. One of them is plurals and singulars. It's two different words. Be filled is plural. You. All of you, talking to the whole church. Now, I know in our language, sometimes we have ways of doing that. I live in Pittsburgh, it's like, use guys, use guys. Talking to everybody. Or down here, y'all. Talking to all y'all. So we do have some ways. In the Greek, it's two different words. He's saying, all of you. Not just pastors, not just elders, not just the spiritual elite green berets. Every single Christian, if you're here and you know Christ and you've been forgiven, you've been redeemed, you're on your way to heaven, I'm talking to you. You should be spirit-filled. It's a command. It's passive. You can't do it yourself, but ask him to do it, and it's everybody. Nobody's excluded. But there's more. Being filled with the Spirit, you also learn from verse 18, is something that has to be repeated. It's never a one and done deal. Because the verb is in the ongoing, continuous tense. And literally, some English translations did a good job indicating that by saying, be being filled. So this is not like, oh, I heard that sermon in April 2000, what are we, 15? Boom, I took care of that. I can can work on other things, charts for Daniel and end times, because I'm filled with the Spirit now. Now, I hope you understand better what it means to be filled with the Spirit after today, but you will have to keep working at this. Say, man, I want to keep asking God. I want to be filled with the Spirit. I want to continuous. It's never one and done. Number five, being filled with the Spirit radically changes how you think and act. You say, now, Brad, how did you get that from verse 18? Well, this might surprise some of you, but did you notice 
What does God bump up against being filled with the Spirit and say it's a lot like this? Don't do this. There's some similarities. Don't do this, but do this. What did he put right up against being filled with the Spirit? Say it. Drunkenness. And it's not the only place that you see a parallel. If you go to the book of Acts, don't for the sake of time. But Acts chapter 2, verse 4 and 13. On that day when the Christians, day of Pentecost, when they stood and had boldness to preach Jesus and to talk about the resurrection, the people in the crowd said, oh, these men are what? Drunk. And it's only early morning, but they're drunk on new wine already. Why? Why would there be a parallel between drunkenness and being filled with the Spirit? Well, if you've ever been drunk, I hope the answer is no. But if you've ever seen anyone under the influence of too much alcohol, then one of the biggest things you recognize is they're like a different person. All right? They're like a different person because they lose control of a lot of things. They say outrageous things. And their tongues are loosed and uninhibited. They do outrageous things. And are reckless and bold in ways that they would not normally be. And their emotions are just right out there for all to see. If they love you, they say, I love you. You man, I love you. Always have. If they don't like you. I've always hated you. Really? Hated. Okay, you don't have to wonder what they're thinking, feeling. It's right out there. Now, don't hear me saying drunkenness is not a sin. It is. But do hear me saying that God's word is saying the person who's filled with the Spirit will act a lot like a drunk person in the best of ways as far as boldness and uninhibited and loose tongue and willing to be slightly reckless and unguarded and step out of their comfort zone. I'm not talking lampshade on your head, dancing on the table for Jesus, no. I'm talking about finally, when that opportunity comes and you think, I ought to say I am a Christian, I ought to actually say I love my wife, everyone's dissing their wife, and you just stand there. You say it, I love my wife. You bring up Jesus, you insert that you are a Christian That's what we're talking about. A loose tongue, uninhibited, willing to be bold, yea, verily reckless. Because you're filled with the Spirit. You say, Brad, I still need some help. How do I know if I'm filled with the Spirit or not? Let's go to another passage, Romans chapter 8. And you thought we weren't going to be in Romans. (laughs) We're never done with Romans. Ever. And we've been here before, but now we're going here on a mission to look at one particular thing. Spirit. And by the way, Romans chapter 8 is a spirit chapter. You learn a lot, but we're just going to focus on what does it mean to be spirit-filled. Romans chapter 8, beginning of verse 9. But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. Well, that settles that. There's your verse, Romans 8 9, for saying, we're not talking about some Christians are saved, but they don't have the spirit yet. If you don't have the Spirit, you're not even a Christian. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. Verse 10, and if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of, oh, here we go Easter again. Oh, 
But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Say, thank you, Lord. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you're going to die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear... But you receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, say it, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Now let me point out some things from these verses that we can clearly take away. What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? What happens when you're filled with the Spirit? Number one. In verse 14, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Listen to me. Do you have any sense of God leading and directing you by his Spirit that lives in you? Or is it just always, I do exactly what I think I ought to do. It's never a consideration. I never have a sense of God directing me or prompting me at all. Everyone who has the Spirit of Christ should to some degree have those moments where the Spirit, it's a, he's a person. I read my Bible. Thank you, Lord. But I tell you what, I'm so grateful. I read my Bible and the spirit of the living, resurrected Christ also lives in me. And I, I try to be sensitive to his guiding and prompting and directing. Everyone who's born of the spirit is led by the spirit. To some degree, you ought to experience him directing you, prompting you, what to say, what to do, where to go, when, how. You say, Brad, what are you talking about? I've given this illustration before, but it, it's a good example of what I'm talking about here. I was, I was going to fly somewhere to teach, and so prior to the flight, I prayed and said, God, put me in the seat next to who you want me to be next to, and give me courage to turn the conversation to Jesus Christ. Give me compassion to be loving, humble, but to find a way to turn it to Christ in spiritual things, if at all possible. So I'm sitting in my seat. We've boarded. It looks like everybody who's going to get on this plane has got on this plane. And I thought, this should encourage some of you. Yay, nobody's sitting by me. In my sinful, selfish flesh, I was like, oh, whew, I'm not going to have to screw up my courage. I'm not going to have to think about how could I turn this to a spiritual direction. I can chill out. And then a guy got on. And he indicated that was his seat. Across me, next to the window. He's climbs across me, stuffs himself, and he's sweating profusely. I think he ran to catch this flight. And so I pray, all right, Lord, help me. He continues to sweat profusely. I pray, help me. As we're taxiing down the runway, he pulls out, still sweating, pulls out a little baggie, and it looks like it's got sugar babies in it. I love sugar babies. I'm thinking, this is how we're going to bond and chat, because I'm going to ask for some of those, and we're going to share sugar babies. <laughs> Just like Jesus asked for water from the woman, it kind of, you show a need. I'm going to show a need. I need some of those. I love sugar babies. But that was all foiled when he opened the Ziploc bag and began to pull them out. And they're all strung together on a string. And he begins to work his way through these sugar babies that are actually beads. And his lips are moving. 
and he's mumbling, and his eyes are squeezed tight, and what else is he doing? He's sweating profusely. And once we get airborne and level off, I leaned over and I said, were you praying a minute ago? Are you a Christian? And he says, no, I'm a Buddhist. Well, guess what? I had just finished reading a book called Unexpected Journey that talks about how people from different religions and radically different worldviews and faiths come to faith in Christ. Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, a chapter on Satanism, a chapter on Islam, and guess what else a chapter on? Say it. Buddhism. I don't know that much about Buddhism, but on that day I did. Because I just read that chapter. And so I perk up and I start asking questions about Buddhism and his religion. I say, hey, tell me about the eightfold path of peace. I only knew that because I just read it. People like you to ask questions about their faith and their religion. I asked questions. I asked questions. I asked questions. I showed interest. I mean genuine. I wasn't faking it. Like pretend you're interested and then hit him with the gospel. No. I care. You got to care. This doesn't work if you truly don't care. I'm just asking questions, and here's what's interesting. He explains the whole eightfold path of peace, and then he leans over and says, but it doesn't work. I, I didn't have to slam his religion. He slammed it. Bam. And so, and so I continued to ask questions about, he, he was wealthy. He travels all over the world. He buys estate sales. He collects high-end antiques and jewelry. He's got shops. He's got a huge home. He's got big parties. He's got friends, and he says to me, I am so lonely in that house and I just keep asking about his business and his religion for the whole flight and then there was a lull and he said would you mind if I asked you a question I'd asked him globs of questions I said sure he said is there any second chance for redemption after you die oh that's all (laughs) oh oh tee it up I, I, can, I can answer that. I would love to answer that. smack a I'm like, I share the gospel. I talk about Christ and what God has done in Christ. And it's only Christ. And he lived a perfect life, died for our sins. You must trust Christ now in this life. Today is the day of salvation. No, there's no second chance after you die. When I finish, he says, that's worth thinking about. But it wasn't the last thing he said to me. We had landed then, and I I got out in the aisle. I'm trying to get my overhead bag down. And he taps me on the shoulder. And he says, I'm going to remember this conversation the rest of my life. I have always wanted an answer to that question. You can't tell me I wasn't led by the Spirit to sit by him and to have already read a book. I mean, how many people on the plane would know anything about Buddhism that are a Christian? That are filled with the Spirit and want to talk about Jesus? We've eliminated lots of the plane. But God put me there, right? Does that ever happen? I'm not saying this happens three times a week. I can't even get things done because I'm so led of the Spirit other places. <laughs> but I could stand here and tell you dozens of more stories. It doesn't happen all the time, but it does happen. Does it ever happen to you? It should. The sons of God are led by the Spirit of God, but that's not all we learn. Look in verse 15. Look in verse 15 of Romans chapter 8. He tells us that you'll have, a, you'll have an increased confidence in the face of your fears. You'll have increased confidence, for you did not receive the bond, spirit of bondage to fear again. You did not just hear me say, You will be fearless, you will have no fears. 
Oh, you'll have fears, lots of them. The world gives us a number of reasons to be afraid. Plenty of things to be afraid about. What it is teaching is you're no longer a slave to those fears. With the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Spirit, I can face down my fears and not be paralyzed by them. I have greater resources to push back against my fears and keep going. I'm afraid, but I don't let it stop me. I'm no longer a slave to fear. You were in bondage to fear, he says, but not now. When you're filled with the Spirit, you can face down your fears and keep moving forward. There's more in verse 15. He says, but you receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Get this, because this is so good, and some of you don't have it. When you're filled with the Spirit, you still have, don't lose this, great, big, God Almighty, incomprehensible, holy, just Woo, transcendent, high and lifted up. Don't lose that. But you have an ever-increasing sense of sweet intimacy that that God of the universe that could crush anything and anyone is my daddy. And I said daddy on purpose. You say, isn't that a little disrespectful? No, it's because the, the text says the same thing. The word Abba was the most endearing term for father they had. The God of the universe starts to be your daddy. I know him. He knows me. He's for me. That comes as you're filled with the spirit. You don't lose this. Don't hear me. You turn him into your boyfriend, buddy, buddy. He's still this. But there's a healthy increasing and this and this and this. And there's one more thing. Verse 16. And this is big for a lot of you also. Notice verse 16, and the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. One of the number one questions I get lots from people who, by all appearances, are Christians and they think they are too, but here's what they live with and struggle with. I'm just not sure. Am I Christian? How do I know if I'm Christian? Am I really a Christian? Am I saved? Do I say the right prayer in the right way? Newsflash. The Holy Spirit. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is to confirm the reality of you being his child. You should have, not a cockiness, but a quiet, settled assurance and security. I'm not perfect. I still screw up. He's still working on me. I'm still a work in progress, but I'm his child. I'm his child. Because it says, look at it in verse 16. And the Spirit himself bears witness. It's not that your pastor has to tell you, yeah, you're in. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And in the minutes I have left, it's important that we do this now. So some of you might be saying, I don't know if I have what you're talking about. And if I don't think I have it, what should I do, Brad? Let's tick through a few things. Number one, here's the first thing you should do is if as I've talked today, you've sensed a big disconnect and you you thought you were talking about someone, not me. I don't have that kind of stuff. I I don't have a worshipful, joyful, grateful, humble heart. I don't have a sense of being led by the spirit. I don't have confidence in the face of my fears. I don't have a sense of him as daddy. What should I do, Brad, if I don't have this sense? Number one, most important and biggest thing you should do, my friend, Check and make sure your life isn't just filled with religion instead of a relationship with Jesus Christ. Oh, listen, my friend, if all you have is religion, 
You'll never experience what I just described because you don't get the Spirit of God through religion. It's through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Christianity has at the hub and heart of it a living relationship with a living Savior, Jesus Christ. Religion is all about what I do. I go to church and I take the moral high ground. I try to treat people the way I want to be treated. I've been baptized. I threw a stick in the fire, whatever. But you're always pointing to your own resume and you're at the center of it. And every time you have doubts, you, you come over your own life and say, wait a minute, I do this, I do this, I do this, and I do this, and other people don't. And If that's the basis of your Christianity, it's nothing but empty, hollow, will not take you to heaven religion. You say, Brad, what's the difference? Let me show you one of my favorite passages that can move you from religion to relationship with Jesus Christ and puts them right up against each other. It is the testimony of a person who actually tells his story and says, I'll tell you exactly what it's like being all about religion. And here's what it looks like when you leave religion behind and you get a hold of a relationship with Jesus Christ. Go to Philippians chapter 3. I want to show you the difference between religion And relationship with Christ. Because some of you desperately need to hear this. And cry out to God and say, would you move me from this to this? Philippians chapter 3. Begin reading in verse 3. This is Paul the Apostle talking. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit. Rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Look at me. If what you have is religion then you are often, if not continually, focused on confidence in the flesh. Well, I know I'm doing this, and I do this. It's still you and what you do. It's you and what you do. It's you. He says, we have no confidence in the flesh. And then he says, you want to play that game? You want to talk about confidence in the flesh and a, a resume, a religious resume? I can trump you. Listen to what I had. And so then he ticks off his religious resume. It says, verse 4, though I might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence, I have more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. All about him. Turning point, verse 7. We go from religion to relationship. Watch what happens. But what things were gained to me, These I've counted loss. The very things he used to put in a plus category, this is why I know I'm okay. This is why I know I'm going to heaven. This is why I know I'm ahead of everybody. He says, that's all garbage now. I counted as loss. Why? For, say it, Christ. Had he mentioned Christ before? Not a word. Now it's all about Christ. For Christ. But indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. Now, here it is. Verse 9 is just exceptional. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own which comes from the law. When you've got religion, it's all about your own self-righteousness and what you're doing. Not having a righteousness of my own, which comes from the law. But, but, that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God, by how? Do you work for it? Do you deserve it? Do you earn it? I got to get it from God. He, I, I get his righteousness. He's got to give it to me. I'm bankrupt. 
Religion, I'm not bankrupt. I'm reminding you of all the things I'm doing right. Over here, you're bankrupt. You say, I got to get it from God. From God, by faith, that I may know him. And the power of the resurrection. And the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. The very first thing you better check. If you say, I don't have this being led of the spirit, worshipful, joyful, humble, grateful, confidence in the faith of my fears. Maybe all you've got, my friend, is religion. And it's time to cry out to God and look to Christ for a relationship with Jesus and new birth and conversion. But there's more. You could be here and, yes, be a Christian and have the Holy Spirit living in you. But you could be snuffing out the Spirit. Do you know you could do that? You could be snuffing out the Spirit by the choices and the way you live continually. Here's what I mean. There's two ways you can snuff out the Holy Spirit. By grieving him because you keep doing what he says don't do. But you keep doing it. Say, what are you talking about, Brad? You're here and you say you're a Christian. You say you've been born again, no condemnation, on your way to heaven. But you sleep with your boyfriend. You sleep with your girlfriend. You're sexually immoral. You live in that area of your life just like the rest of the world. You say, ah, it's no biggie, you know, and we love each other. We love each other. And we're thinking about marriage, but this is a new day, Brad. Marriage is just a piece of paper. God has not yet said marriage is just a piece of paper. God said, I will judge fornicators and adulterers. If you're sleeping with your girlfriend, sleeping with your boyfriend, you're a fornicator and you are grieving the Holy Spirit. Every day, if he lives in you, he's grieved. He's brokenhearted. He's sorrowful. Kiss being spirit-filled. Goodbye. You'll have no sense of being led by the Spirit, confidence in the face of your fears, assurance of salvation that I'm his child. No, 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 no. He's grieved. Now, that's not the only way you grieve him. You could grieve him by stealing from your employer, both in time and money. You know one of the biggest ways you can grieve him? With your lips. Slander. Gossip. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30 and 32. It's in the bulletin if you just want to look there. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And all, watch this. This is going to get some of you. And be tender hearted, kind to one another forgiving one another even as God in Christ has forgiven you. Some of you aren't going to like this. If you are unforgiving, and right now there's someone you will not forgive, there's somebody or somebodies, and you know it, Christians of all people should be forgiving because you've been forgiven everything, but you got your mama or your daddy or your brother or that friend or that pastor or that somebody you will not forgive. Holy Spirit lives grieved inside of you every day. Forget being led by the Spirit, having confidence in the face of your fears, having a sweet intimacy, calling him daddy. All the while that you will not forgive or you're bitter. You could be grieving the Spirit and snuffing it out. But there's another way. You could be quenching the Spirit. So grieving the Spirit is when you keep doing what he says don't do. Quenching the Spirit is when you don't do what he keeps saying do. He prompts you, talk to that person. Start a conversation. Not going to happen. Give that bonus away. Give it to someone in need. Give it to someone who needs to make a house payment. Trust me, risk, give a little more. Not going to happen. When you, and here's how it works. You say, why don't I ever get prompted by the Spirit, Brad? Why don't I? 
he won't waste his time. If you've already proven you won't listen, he'll say, I'll shut up. You want to live your life? You want to make all your decisions? You want to decide everything about what you're going to do, where you're going to go, how you're going to go? Go for it. Let me know how that works out. But I'm right here able to give you a life that's much more amazing with, oh my goodness, that was of God. That was of God. That was of God. The more you obey and step out and risk with a prompting, the more you'll hear it. The more you say, ain't going to happen, it's like turning down the volume. It'll just go away. Are you grieving the Spirit? Are you quenching the Spirit? And then quickly, two more things that you might just look at. You're saying, Brad, I don't have what you're talking about. What should I do? Get honest before the Lord and confess any and all known sin. You say, I think I'm good to go. Pray this. Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. See if there be any wicked way in me. Do you ever stop? I do. And say, God, what am I not hearing that you've been trying to say to me? What am I not seeing about myself that you've been trying to point out? Right now, I'm wide open. Tell me, I don't want to live clueless. I don't want to not be filled with the Spirit. I don't want there to be things that are hanging me up. I want you at work in my life. I want to live a Spirit-filled powerful life for you search me oh god he will tell you some stuff and lastly this is going to sound so simple ask him to fill you with the holy spirit have you ever asked ask oh god fill me with your spirit i pray it all the time god fill me with your spirit i want to be filled with your spirit as i preach teach i want to be filled with your spirit today lord as i go where i go and i'm in the fill me with your spirit use me for your glory James 4, 2 says, you have not because you. And in Luke chapter 11, verse 13, he says, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Many times, the only reason there's a category of haves and haves nots is the, there are those who are asking and those who are willing to do what Scripture says do to clear out the rubble so that God could fill you, fill you. Imagine what this place could look like if our church family lived, it's not one and done, but if all of us had this mindset, I'm done living in my own strength, I wanna live with being filled with the Spirit. I don't expect to hear any barking and I'll call you down if you bark. But I do expect to see more lost people come to Christ. I do expect to see more of you giving away your money. I do expect to see more of you taking risk in the neighborhood and in the job and places. Oh, what God might do if we were filled with the Spirit. And so as we close, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And I do want you to give God thanks because the Lord's Supper we celebrate the finished work of Christ. And the only way we can have the Holy Spirit is because of what Christ did. And every good gift, including the gift of the Holy Spirit, is a result of Christ's finished work on the cross. But as we celebrate today, I want you to thank God for the finished work of Christ that, yes, gives you peace with God. There's no condemnation. But I want, to, I want you to push it to the next level. And I want you to thank God that because of the finished work of Christ... You've received the Holy Spirit without measure to empower you, fill you, lead you, calm your fears, and assure you that you are His 
child. And as we transition to celebrating the supper, I want to ask you to stand together with me. I want us to read a Puritan prayer that prays and asks God for the Spirit. Stand together with me as our men join me down front. They're going to help serve the supper. I want us to pray. So engage your mind. I don't want you to wander. Think about what you're praying. It's a great prayer regarding the Holy Spirit. Let's pray together. O Lord God, as the sun is full of light, the ocean full of water, heaven full of glory, so may my heart be full of your Spirit. Give me your Spirit without measure as an unimpaired fountain of inexhaustible riches. I pray not so much for graces as for your Spirit himself because I feel his absence. Give me not weak desires, but the power of his presence. Your spirit can heal, help, quicken, and humble me suddenly and easily. He can work grace and life effectually, and being eternal, he can give grace eternally. Suffer me not to grieve or resist your spirit. Come as power to expel every rebel lust to reign supreme, and to keep me as your own. Come as teacher, leading me into all truth, as light, illuminating the scripture, and as my great helper to strengthen and keep me directing my every step. You may be seated.